We're going to continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's Word. So if you've got a Bible and will join me in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. It's good to sing to the Lord, isn't it? All my life He has been faithful, and, and He is so good to us. So Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read Jeremiah 2, 1 to 13, and then two other sections from Jeremiah chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord? Who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in the land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through and where no man dwells. And I brought you into a land that's plentiful to enjoy its fruits and its good things. What's he saying? All your life I've been faithful. All your life I've been good. But when you came in, you defiled my land, made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend for. Cross the coasts of Cyprus and see and send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there's been such a thing. Has the nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Verse 19. Your evil will chastise you. Your apostasy will reprove you. No one see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. End of verse 27. But in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. Let's pray together. This is the word of the Lord, the book of Jeremiah. Now, Father, what you want us to know and understand from these verses, may that be the message. Give us grace and help where we need. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two key words that I want us to focus on together this morning. They're words found in Jeremiah chapter 2 in the verses that we have have read. You'll remember that uh, Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah, to Jerusalem, for 40 years. 
from um, about the 620s B.C. to about the 580s B.C., and most of the people in his own lifetime didn't really listen to him. They thought he was a classic overreactor. But even though most people did not listen to him, he listened to God. And that's why he's worth us listening to. Amen? Hey, uh, you don't need to spend a lot of time listening to people who don't listen to God. You don't need to spend a lot of time listening to people who don't listen to God. What will that profit you? It won't, not only will it not profit, it will bring real harm to your life. So take some inventory for your soul's sake, right? Just the the amount of time you spend listening to podcasts, media, messages, other people. And be very careful and cautious that who you listen to, always ask, does this person really listen to God? Jeremiah, you you might recall, was a reluctant prophet. We we learned that from chapter 1, right? When God says, hey, I'm going to appoint you, and I knew you before you were in the womb. I've consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet. And Jeremiah said, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But God said, don't say that. Don't say I'm only a youth. For to you, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. Praise God for people who are godly in the young ages, right? Who from an early age say, I'm going to follow the, the Lord. May that be so among us as a, as a church family. It's important to note at the end of chapter 1, uh, verse 18, God says to Jeremiah, hey, I'm going to make you like a fortified city. And that's important because what Jeremiah has to say is not going to be well received. He's going to tell his generation, you're, you're sicker than you think you are. You look around at other people, other nations, and you say, man, they, they're so sick. But Jeremiah's coming to say, no, you are. Don't, don't you want your physician to tell you the truth? I hope you do, right? Jeremiah is a physician of the soul who's telling his generation a lot of important things, but we're going to grab hold of two words in particular. And those words for us this morning are the words forsake and the word fear. Those are going to be our two key words. Jeremiah said very clearly to Jerusalem, to Judah, you have forsaken the Lord. And he says, you do not fear the Lord. Those two things obviously have a lot to do with one another. Now, I I think uh, Jeremiah's uh, audience would have agreed very quickly that the Assyrians had forsaken the Lord. The Assyrians don't uh, fear the Lord. The Babylonians have forsaken the Lord. The Babylonians don't fear the Lord. The people of Samaria have forsaken the Lord and don't fear the Lord. But Jeremiah is telling them they have forsaken the Lord and they don't fear the Lord. Now, um, we're in the book here of Jeremiah. uh, And uh, what God had done in the past was he had miraculously protected and preserved Jerusalem. Mighty nations had come against Jerusalem, and when it looked like Jerusalem was going to be conquered, God intervened. God did some miraculous things. Now, this is important. For Jeremiah's generation, instead of God's past deliverance cultivating in them hearts of gratitude, what was actually in their hearts was presumption. Now, 
That's important because your heart is in trouble if it's not ruled by gratitude. So again, you can take inventory of your life. This is why the word of the Lord is helpful. This past week, was it more full of grumbling and complaining or, or gratitude? Your, troubles in, uh, your heart rather is in trouble when gratitude to God for His grace and provision is scarce. So let's take these two words one at a time, forsake and fear. What has Judah done? Look in verse 9. Therefore I will contend with you, declares the Lord. I mean, God's serious, isn't He? And with your children's children, I will contend. Do you care about your children? Do you care about your grandchildren? If so, listen to what God's saying. He says, for across the coast to Cyprus and see and send to Kedar and examine with care. What that means is go, 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 and go into the known world and see if anybody's ever done something like this. And what he is saying is essentially that Judah has forsaken the Lord. And why that's important is because Judah believes they're the one place that has it. Do you see the trouble? See, the trouble is they think they've remained faithful to the Lord, and God tells them they have it. To, to explain the seriousness of the situation, uh, Jeremiah uses an analogy that everyone then and there would have understood. Look what it says. It says, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, there's that word, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, quick question. Do you think water is important to life or sort of supplemental? Of course it's, of course it's important. I mean, we're, we're spending a whole lot of money to send technologically advanced equipment to Mars, and what are they looking for? Just a drop of water, right? We, we understand that life is completely dependent on water. And God is saying, in heaven, something shocking has happened. Have you noticed when you read the Bible how much stuff happens around water, wells, rivers, right? Uh, you read the book of Genesis. If you've been reading through the Bible this year, it often starts in Genesis. And how many wells are there? There's Jacob's well. And Abraham's got to get a well. And everybody's, you know, no, there's not enough wells around here. In fact, in, in those days, the meanest thing you could do is what? Poison the well. And think about what you use water for. Jesus talks to the woman at the well. Think about how you've used water today. Now, here's, here's how you did it this morning. People in previous generations would have never believed something like this could happen. You got fresh water. How did you do it? You did this. Anybody fall on their knees in gratitude when that happened this morning? You just take it for granted, don't you? You take it for granted that you can leave this room this morning and go get clean drinking water. You need water to drink. You need water to clean. You need water to cook. You need water for everything. God calls himself a fountain. A fountain in those days was as valuable a commodity as there was because a fountain is constantly bringing fresh water. It doesn't need to be boiled it's just there. It's an ongoing, never-ceasing source of what you need to live, to flourish, to survive. And God said, you've forsaken a fountain, and if that weren't bad enough, you've hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the picture is, 
You go to the well and you do all the work there is to bring the water up from the well. And now you're going to take the water from the well and carry it to home. So you've, you've probably seen pictures of people who do this and they get the water and the cistern and maybe they carry their head, they carry on their shoulder. And the picture is after you've left the well, you're on your way home and that water cistern is cracked and that water's just leaking with every step you take, every step you take. And when you get home, guess what you got? You got no water. Spiritually speaking, you've got no peace, you've got no life, you've got no joy, you've got nothing. Now, how crazy would it be if that's the reality and you get home and you got no water and that person takes that very same cistern, goes back to that very same well and does it all over again? You would say, that's crazy. That's the word that's used here. Be appalled, O heavens. Be utterly desolate. Something's going on here that the description is, it's It's evil. Hey friends, God's a fountain, and fountains are better than wells because the supply is never threatened. So uh, in order to kind of talk about the seriousness of the situation, I want to revisit an illustration we've used in the past and, and uh, talk about it here. Because what, what we're ultimately talking about and Jeremiah's prophesying about is your, is your heart. Put your hand over your heart for a moment. Is it beating? Tell your neighbor if it's not, right? Just alert somebody. Now... What you feel beating is, is, your, is your heart. So when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about that physical organism. It's not, not about the cardiologist, right? The heart is the real you. The real you where decisions get made. Where you feel the emotions, the mind, the will, the, the emotions. The real you, the, the heart. Man, it's the most precious thing that you've got. And Jeremiah, we'll study this later, says something about your heart. Your heart's actually deceitful. Above all things, and desperately wicked. So I'm going to use this illustration, and this illustration is about your heart. And in everybody's heart, 100% of people, there's two things going on. You have somebody who's in charge, and that's going to represent this chair right here. Got the king chair, the queen chair. This is the person in charge. This is the decision maker. This is the one calling the shots. And in every heart, there's another part that is the what we might call the servant. And the servant is the one who listens to the to the authority and is given the responsibility to carry it out, right? So, here's your heart. You sit on the throne. You're in charge. You call the shots. When you're born, this is how everybody's wired. Man, we had a baby this week. Guess what? She's in charge. I mean, I'm just kidding. Kind of. But she is so precious fearfully and wonderfully made there's no doubt about that but she wants what she wants when she wants it right and we don't really grow out of that did you know that we don't grow out of that now this person in charge is saying things to you like this here's where water can really be found here's the fountain and if we'll go to that fountain if we'll go to that well rather that's where life will really improve this person sits here and tells you how to really live, how to really have life. And in your heart, the way that you're born, you sit here. Now that begs a question. If you sit here, who sits there? Who's in the servant's seat? Now, guess here's how the dynamic works. When you sit here, guess who sits there? This is why we're all barely hanging on apart from the Lord. You sit here too. 
You're actually both. Always telling you what you should do. And, and you know where anger comes from? Anger comes from you sitting here saying, here's where life will be found, and it's never found. And you just get angry about it. I got home again, and the cistern was dry again. Anger comes from here. Anxiety comes from here. Because it's never enough. Never quite get there. And at this whole table comes addiction. And the addiction is we keep going back to the same well over and over and over and never find water. Let me give a silly illustration. Uh, but it is a true illustration. You know, when, when I'm kind of in charge of my life, one of the things I'm frequently telling myself to do, lose 10 pounds. My life would be so much better. I mean, I'm telling myself this. I'm a little bit older, just had a baby. I mean, I've got to be healthy. And so I make a lot of plans. And I said, we need to diet and exercise. That's, that's, that's what we need to do. And king me is telling servant me, here's what we're going to do this week. Here's what we're going to eat. Here's where we're going to go to the Y, and we're going to do these things. And so, so, so King Me has made plans. I was at Sam's the other day, minding my own sweet business. Julie had given me a list of things to, to get from the store that we needed, and I was there at the store and uh, didn't intend for this to happen, but I come across a bag, a large bag. It's Sam's. Of Reese's peanut butter eggs. I love Reese's peanut butter eggs. King Me made some plans, you know what I'm saying? King Me made a menu. And as I looked at it, you know what King Me said? We don't need those. You know what Servant Me said? I am sick of listening to you. I don't want to hear another word out of your mouth. And now, servant me is trying to be king me. It's chaos in here, isn't it? I mean, honestly, it's chaos in here, isn't it? That's why we're exhausted. Because king me makes commands servant me doesn't want to keep or really can't keep. Now, what happened when I got to the peanut butter eggs? Something else is going on in this heart, isn't there? It's called desires. And desires will let you know pretty fast you're actually not in charge. There's something in you stronger than you. Now, that could be peanut butter eggs. It could be desires for possessions for money. It can be sexual desires. It can be desires for status. We had that fighter verse recently, didn't we? Do not love the world or the things in the world for all that's in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This is where exhaustion comes from. Because here's the biblical reality is, man, I am not built for this chair. I don't belong here. This is what the fall is in Genesis 3. Is Adam and Eve said, I will be like God, knowing good and evil. I'll call the shots. That's what's wrecked the world. Because this is destructive in and of itself for one person to live like this. But what's the world? Everybody's living like this. We don't need a slight adjustment to this dynamic. We need transformation. So Jeremiah is coming along saying, 
you've forsaken the Lord. What does that mean? You've decided that you're going to be here and not him. And friends, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can waste your whole life at this table of king you and servant you, conversation after conversation after, well, we tried this and this. It's exhausting. It's ang- it makes you angry. It'll make you anxious. It'll leave you without what you need for life. One way to think about it is that King Yu constantly makes promises that cannot be kept and demands that cannot be met. And that's the dynamic of our life. That's the state of my my heart apart from the Lord. Hey, let's let's give a, a... a biblical example of this can be found in Luke chapter 12. So let's read that and see it together, and we'll see this heart dynamic going on in somebody's life. It's not about Reese's peanut butter cups, but it'll tell us the same scenario. So, so Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, to him is Jesus, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? All right, so somebody's in the crowd. They're listening to Jesus teach. And in their heart, their self-centered self has said, my life will be better if my brother is made to divide the inheritance with me. I need some more money. It's not fair that he has all the money. So Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what? He thought to who? Thought to himself. Nobody talks to you about you more than you. In fact, when you talk to you about you, you're talking about what y'all talk about all the time. And another way of saying that, by the way, is nobody lies to you about you more than you. That's why we need the scripture. We need something outside of our heart to give correction to our heart. Don't follow your own heart, in other words. Can I get an amen? Or not. (laughs) He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. Now we're making plans. I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I, me, and my. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink. Be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now you watch it. Just, I want to base everything I say on the scripture. This scenario started because one man was angry. Tell my brother, angry. You read the next verse after the parable. What's it about? His disciples. He said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. One of the big lessons from the book of Jeremiah is idolatry leads to captivity. Idolatry leads to captivity. And the things that you'll be captive to 
are anger, anxiety, and addiction. Because you were not made for that chair. And when you try to claim it for yourself, the heavens are appalled. Why would you do that? Friends, you already know the answer, but I really want you to think about this with me. Who does this belong to? One of the things that has to happen in your life, if you're going to be born again, if you're going to be saved, is somewhere in there, you heard him say clearly, you are sitting in my seat. And you don't belong there. You know the enemy is uh, deceptive, right? Because I'll just tell you this. The enemy doesn't mind if you bring this into the equation and sit it right here. So long as you keep sitting here. Read it all you want. In fact, that's in large measure who the Pharisees are, isn't it? You can quote it, teach it, Nicodemus, John 3, but never humbled themselves before the Lord and said, I don't belong here. Jeremiah's generation is confronted with this. And he says in verse 19, Know and see that it is evil and bitter when you forsake the Lord your God, the fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. Our first word was forsaken. Forsaken in the manner of the illustration means that I forsook the Lord and I decided to be in charge. Fearing the Lord would mean what then? When you fear the Lord, you are utterly, humbly, thoroughly convinced this seat belongs to him. Amen. That's what it means to fear the Lord. He's in charge. And not just he's in charge, it's so much better that he is. Amen. It's so much better. He's glorious. He's righteous. He loves me. He cares about me. He's got counsel worth listening to. And what he says is true. And he's going to lead me to a fountain of living water. To fear the Lord means that I know that that seat doesn't belong to me. I'm not sovereign. I'm not in charge. I'm not the king. God alone is. So a couple things before we we conclude, and I think I've used this illustration um, as well. This helps me in my life because there are times in my life I get stuck. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm progressing. I don't feel like I'm overcoming sin. I don't think I'm growing in holiness and righteousness. A couple of summers ago, my older two children were at a summer camp in northern Virginia, and I went and picked them up, and uh, it was around lunchtime, and there was a Chick-fil-A nearby, and that's always good news to me. So we went and we ate at Chick-fil-A, and then we got back into the parking lot, and I pulled up my phone with my GPS because I was kind of out in the country, and I didn't know how to get home. So I pulled up my GPS, punched in my home address, and it does the thing, calculating, gives me a couple of options. You can go this way, you can go that way. And I just chose the one that's shortest, right? Get me home as fast as I can. And it punched it in, and we're sitting in a, a shopping center parking lot. The directions home 
come up on the screen. But do you know what it says? First thing up there? Proceed to the root. Proceed to the root. There's a highway about 400 yards from where I was sitting. And I didn't have directions from where my car was actually sitting to the highway. But the GPS was telling me, once you get on that highway, how many of you have ever been there where you're like, I can't even get to the highway. I just know I'm not there, and I've circled the parking lot for the third time, right? But until you get there, hey, I've got all sorts of things to show you. I'm going to lead you home. And on the way, we're in northern Virginia. There's mountains to see, awesome stuff to see. But you're not going to see any of it until you proceed to the root. The fear of the Lord is the, does anybody know this verse? Beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Until you come to the fountain, you'll always be thirsty. Always be thirsty. Until you get this dynamic right, that He is God and I'm not. He loves His people. But man, there is something in us that wants control and wants to be in charge. And now, when you sit here, friends, it's not, it's not that God abdicated the throne. It's that you're lying to yourself. And, and you can do that for your whole life. But then you will stand before him. And do you know what? Do you know what? When you stand before him and realize how glorious and mighty and powerful he is, you know what will happen to you? You'll be appalled. You'll be appalled. What was I thinking to ever think that I could be higher than the most high God? But let's connect G Jeremiah to Jesus. There's 66 books in the Bible, right? 39 Old Testament, 27 New. They're all about Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Our two key words are forsake and fear. So I want you to see them at the cross. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to get to Matthew 27, but, but I, don't, I don't know that I'd be a... I want to be faithful to God's Word. Amen? There's nothing in life that reveals to you how much you don't belong in this chair quite like suffering. They are headed to captivity. And what you'll see again and again in the Scripture is that we have a persistent, persistent desire to occupy this spot. And God in His goodness and in His grace, it's a hard lesson, but hang with me, in His providence, if it's absolutely essential that we get up out of this chair, then He allows for situations and circumstances that reveals to you, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as powerful as you think you are. You're not as righteous as you think you are. 
But I do want you to see his might in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Son is forsaken by God the Father on the cross. Do you see it? What does that mean? He's exiled from the presence of his Father to pay for our sin. What we have done, listen, what the Scripture says, what we have done in forsaking him and setting ourselves up as our self-sufficient, autonomous sovereigns in our rebellion, the Bible says it's evil. It's appalling. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus has done this for us. Jesus did that for you. He is the king, Philippians teaches, who came as a servant. Amazing, isn't it? He really is the king, but he came as a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Does Jesus occupy that place in your heart, the name that is above every name? Now read with me in Matthew chapter 28. Verse 1, after the Sabbath towards the dawn of the first day of the week, we saw the word forsake, right? So in this passage, you're going to look for the word fear. See if you find it. Mary went to the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the fear of him, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. (laughs) They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. Do those terms fear and great joy seem at odds to you? They're not. Fear. He's risen. He really is in charge. He really is the king. And it's so joyful that he is. Part of conversion is uh, humbly and increasingly joyfully saying, man, this seat does not belong to me, and I'm so glad because I know the one who sits there. So when we fear the Lord, we recognize he is worthy to be king. He is worthy of his name. Our fear of him is worshipful all. You see the words? Fear, joy, worship. And now, the the fear of the Lord 
is protective in my life and the way that I understand it is I kind of have a fear that it would creep back into my heart to want to go back to that seat. Does that make sense? Because it is in you, friends. Those of us who are born again, we've got two natures. The old nature, always on the throne. The new nature says he's on the throne, but they're still in us. To say, hey, maybe today I'll come back here and just hang out here for a little while. The fear of the Lord protects you from that. I say, well, wait, I don't, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to proceed to the root. The root to follow the Lord is paved with the fear of the Lord. Now, Jeremiah's generation, they did not listen to this lesson. And it led to captivity. Idolatry always leads to captivity. The fear of the Lord protects us from idolatry. Jesus is forsaken in our place. And may our response be like this, one of fearful joy. We invite you to stand and we're going to pray together and respond to the Lord together. After we study the word, we have a time of response. And um, we always like our response to be as uh, in line with how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. So if it's helpful for you to come to the front and pray, you're welcome to do that. Man, it might be good to just resolve in your heart, God, give me grace to fear you in the way that you're worthy of. God, I spend too much time trying to sit on the throne. Or maybe it'd be this true this morning. You say, I've never come to faith in Christ. I've always tried to run my life. I want the man on the cross to be king over my soul. We're going to pray together and then seek the Lord in response. Father, 100% of us have forsaken you. All of us, all of us have sought to be God over our own lives. It it looks different in our lives, different people, but in the heart, it's always a desire for autonomy, for your place, in your place. The good news of the gospel is that the way that you responded to us taking, trying to take your place is sending your son to take our place at the cross. It's amazing grace. Thank you for your love for us. We don't deserve it but we desperately need it. Father, Jeremiah's generation didn't really listen to him. Their hearts were ruled by presumption instead of gratitude. So I pray you'd soften our hearts in light of your faithfulness to us. Lead our response time. God, I pray again that the weary will find rest. The mourning will find comfort. The failing will find strength. The sinful find their Savior and all of it in the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray.